0: Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. It's good to be back on the air again, Uh, but then again, hard to believe it was just yesterday I was on the air with you all, and what do you know? I had time that I didn't think I would have had um, to have been on the air again today, but I'm going to make the most of it, like I always do with you all, and once again, um, here here we are discussing I Am Murdered. George With Thomas Jefferson and the killing that shocked a new nation. We're going to be discussing um, the first part of the uh, homicide, or what we call investigation. Now, the second part of all this won't take won't be discussed until we get to part two. But yesterday we had discussed uh, the funeral service and how it was a one of a kind uh, service that was. Um, that was very memorable and it was certainly one that was um that, that George with himself would have um would have been in awe of knowing just how many people came out to pay his respects along with the wonderful eulogy that his protege student um Mr. William Munford uh gave so here we are we're going to be discussing um uh, the homicide investigation part 1 of the investigation now, who were the first um, men to arrive at Wythe's home shortly after he had been poisoned? They were the following. Dr. William Fauci, being George Wythe's personal physician, Wythe's attorney, Edmund Randolph, and Mayor William Duval. All three men were told by Lydia Broadnecks, Wythe's servant, that George With Sweeney had flicked, or what we might think of as had flicked or thrown a um, piece of paper that would have contained a mysterious substance, and that piece of paper was um, dropped uh, beneath the um, into the fire beneath the coffee pot. She obviously she did not see him pour the uh, substance into the coffee on the other hand if she had witnessed him do it she certainly would have done everything in her power to have um, prevented what would have unfortunately um, happened where um, not only was Lydia herself an unfortunate um, victim of poisoning of being poisoned but that of but the same for Michael Brown and uh, mr. with she also explained to these three men how, um, not only that she herself became violently sick, but that Mr. With and Michael Brown did as well, and she knew that um she became all the more convinced that uh, after she had recovered that George with Sweeney was the only person in the home who did not get sick, in other words, he had the luxury of being able to drink a nice cup of coffee that was not that did not have any poison in it. Unfortunately, the other three, who enjoyed drinking a, a good cup of coffee, were not so fortunate. Michael Brown is clinging on to dear life. Of course, George Wythe is. Lydia Brown will get better over time, but her eyesight will never be 100% the same as a result of, of what the poisoning did inside to her. Now, um, were there any other men who listened to Lydia Broadnax's version of what happened on May the twenty-fifth? Absolutely, there were uh, two ministers who um, who appeared. They were um, two men, two ministers rather, whom uh, George With had lots of uh, great respect for. One was being Reverend John Buchanan, and the other was Reverend John Blair, whose um, Relative was the um, distinguished Reverend uh, James Blair, who uh, was minister at uh, Bruton Parish Episcopal Church in uh, Williamsburg, uh, Virginia. So uh, it turns out, though, that John Blair is a a Presbyterian minister, whereas uh, Reverend uh, John Buchanan was an Episcopalian. But both of these men uh, stayed at With's bedside uh, regularly up until he died on uh, June eighth. Two weeks after he had been initially poisoned, Lydia Broadnax told both of these men the same um, information as she had done with Mayor Duval, Edmund Randolph, as well as um, Dr. Fauci. and each of them, each minister, relayed all the necessary information. Um, to uh, doctors uh, McCall and McClurg, and what, uh, as well as Fauci, because they did um, they did ask her questions more than once, and sometimes the same questions were asked more than once by Reverend Blair and Reverend Buchanan. I'm not sure if race was an issue here. Of course, that's debatable, but maybe they just wanted to make sure that they got their facts straight. More than once, so that um, so that Mrs. Broadnax was in fact um, telling not just the truth, but telling information that was accurate. After all, they knew that she w- had been a victim of uh, the poisoning, and sometimes, um, you know, when people, when any of us could suffer a uh, an unfortunate um, exp- experience, say like in the case with what Lydia Broadnax endured, um, you know, people could become forgetful, uh, people could, uh, you know, they could remember saying something one day and then telling something opposite the next. So basically, I think the ministers just want to make sure that, um, that the, uh, information is pertinent, or should I say relevant, um, because remember folks, you know, ministers, doctors, you know, all of these people are very, um, are very highly respectable people in their communities, so they want to make sure they're on the same page and that they're not um, distorting one another. So another question uh, to think about are the doctors themselves. We've mentioned their names uh, a couple of times uh, from other podcasts, but were doctors James McClurg, Samuel McCall, and William Fauci considered to be the best in their profession nationwide? yes and that's not that's just not an ordinary yes all three of these men received honors from medical journals city councils not just city council in richmond but city councils from other uh cities perhaps in virginia but elsewhere um in the united states and from multiple state legislatures so the word has gotten out on these um individuals or shall i say doctors and that they have really made it big time on the other hand, though, um, George Wythe, you know, he's he, he lives two weeks after he um, was initially, uh, first initially poisoned. But he has known all along that he had been poisoned. After all, the day he uh, was poisoned and after he had regained consciousness to where the doctor came, being Dr. Fauci, as well as um, his personal attorney being Edmund Randolph, he told both of those men, I've been murdered, or I am murdered, rather. He knew that somebody was out to get him. He knew that someone wanted him dead. He knew that there was someone out there who simply did not like him. And yet, With knew everyone in Richmond revered him. He knew that he never came across anyone who had it out for him. So, With knew that what had took place on May 25th was a very very serious matter that could not that in no way should have gone unnoticed well the doctors i think the doctors would agree that this should not go unnoticed but the doctors have something else up their sleeve they are convinced that mr with was infected with cholera morbus How so? Well, we're going to get to that here um, momentarily. You know, it's one thing to have a difference in opinion or a different, or a different conclusion over um, a medical diagnosis or let alone a conclusion on anything else, um, regardless of the matter. However, if the differences cannot be resolved, then it will complicate matters down the road. So, this medical diagnosis that the doctors have come to agreement with, being cholera morbus as what, to what they think George Wythe has been infected with, this is going to be the first of many mistakes to come, which over time will create further complications. So, let's all keep this in mind, folks, that this medical diagnosis is going to be the first of many mistakes that will lead to further complications and will create further twists and turns. And it will basically send us, send us the viewers, who can also um, pretend as though we are our own investigators, down multiple roller coasters to where we're not sure what path... what path... Um, what the ultimate path will be. In other words, What really did happen to George With He says he he was poisoned, but now the medical profession is saying something different. Who's telling the truth and who isn't? So let's talk a little bit more about why the doctors are so convinced behind whether or not he had cholera. What symptoms would an individual display if he or she contracted cholera? Well, here are a couple of examples. There are many, but I'm going to list a couple here. These are the basic 101 examples. The symptoms usually range from severe stomach cramps, consistent bouts of diarrhea, to rapid vomiting. And what I mean by rapid vomiting is that you're... I know it doesn't sound pleasant, folks, but this is a, this is one of a handful of symptoms behind cholera. Rapid vomiting meaning that you you know simply just cannot hold anything inside your, um, stomach to where, um, so much, uh, what do you call it? Violent interaction is taking place in the body to where there's no, uh, sustainability. And the only thing that the individual can do is keep throwing up what is, um, causing, throwing up what is causing all the, um, Uneasiness from inside. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a pathologist. I'm not any of this stuff. But I am trying to give you the best examples that I know of to describe not just what cholera entails, but what, but what an average person um, could have experienced in the 18th and 19th century. Other then we talk, then we go into uh, pain, or not just pain, but pains. Uh, Pain can occur in one's stomach. Bowels and joints can make moving around unbearable. The body itself can become cold and would, would be covered with large amounts of sweat. Very chilling factors, or symptoms, to say the least. Now, when Mr. With was poisoned, I do recall telling you all that that when he endured um, poison, he felt tingling throughout his nervous system, which included his joints. His skin was hot. But yet, somehow, miraculously, he managed to make it down the stairs for help. He did vomit, but we don't know exactly how many times. That part is a mystery. Just because someone vomits, it, that doesn't automatically mean that that's a sign of cholera. There are a variety of reasons why someone can um, can have those um, symptoms. And again, I, I I know it sounds unpleasant, but this is the fact here, folks. I mean, this is what you know. Obviously, happened to Mister With, some of the symptoms he experienced, and as I mentioned to you all a moment ago about some of the basic symptoms behind cholera because, after all, the doctors are convinced he has cholera and they want to make their case known. Let's see if um, Mr. With really believes them because he has, he's trying to tell people that he's been poisoned. Now, many people in the 19th century and before whom had cholera would usually die between 24 to 48 hours. And another factor behind um, cholera is a a symptom, rather, is a lung collapse. In other words, um, when the lung, you know, when we breathe, you know, our lungs help give us the air that we need to breathe. When someone contracts cholera and the pain is throbbing, the pain is so bad to where the whole body shuts down, well, guess what else shuts down? The lungs shut down. So breathing becomes so unbearable to where it could be a short matter of time before the before an individual goes into a state of unconsciousness or let alone death. But how ironic for George With that, his lungs didn't collapse. Sure, he may have experienced a moment or two with uh, difficulty breathing, given that once he consumed the coffee, that's when the throbbing pain. It was almost like a stabbing pain that just came in and took over. But somehow, miraculously, whatever amount of poison that was put into the coffee, it didn't kill the guy right away. It didn't kill Lydia Broadnax nor Michael Brown right away. So it, we could be led to believe that just because somebody put poison, being in this case George With Sweeney, just because he put poison into the coffee... It didn't automatically mean that the dosage he put in was sufficient enough to um, to cause um, death right away. So, here's another question regarding cholera. Did cholera usually show up in warm weather regions like southern Asia, for example? Yes. But it was also prevalent in India and Africa, but most notably in India, especially summertime, where ships transporting goods from one port to another, not just transporting the goods, but guess what else is getting transported in return? Disease, like cholera. This leads to an epidemic. Uh, Folks, what's the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic? An epidemic is where a disease outbreak is confined to just one Region of a country or let alone one or let alone to a country to a region of say Europe, for example, but not anywhere else in the world. But if it's a pandemic, that's where all nations around the world are being um, impacted by deadly uh, virus or disease, especially with what we're dealing with right now. Coronavirus pandemic. Not just a pandemic, but a global pandemic. And the same could be said for what happened 103 years ago with the Spanish flu. That was a pan- a global pandemic. Now, George Wythe did become ill in late May. And that was when warm weather set in throughout Virginia. Now, in the... In the 18th century as well as into the 19th century there were no known cures for uh, preventing the spread of cholera there were um, ailments out there but even those ailments alone couldn't stop the spread of cholera doctors knew very little about how and why various illnesses or let alone diseases occurred believe it or not their only solution or they felt that the best solution to reduce the the likelihood of one getting a disease, or let alone reducing their chances of getting the disease again, was to drain blood from the body. That's called bloodletting. And removing bad blood in the eyes of many doctors was a way to make the patients better. You know, someone, uh, a famous um, forefather figure of ours blood to death. He was already ill. He was pre- I mean he uh, had contracted pneumonia, but had al- but he also contracted what was known as epiglottitis. He went out for a ride in December of 1799 out in the cold weather to check on his um, properties. He came back not feeling well and eventually his symptoms worsened to where he did contract epiglottitis or, you know, pneumonia, to where his uh, throat, um, to basically where the inside of his body started shutting down. But to make matters worse, um, the team of doctors who were there to operate on this man, one of them wanted to perform a tracheotomy. In other words, he wanted to um, perform a tracheotomy on his throat, to see uh, what it would entail as to why um, he was having such uh, difficulty um, with breathing. The other doctors ruled, overruled the decision, but the man said the following. He was he was known to have said the following, Let me die in peace, I've suffered enough. That was George Washington, folks. They, um, the doctors... Um, I mean, he was already on the uh, verge of dying, but they thought that draining all the bad blood out of his body would heal him to where he would make a full recovery. Unfortunately, that did not happen. But we have to remember for a long time, uh, bloodletting, the practice of bloodletting alone dates back to the medieval era, so this practice had been going on for some time. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that the average um, person has about nine units of blood in their body, so so it's one thing to drain blood from someone's body, but if you drain too much, the chances of the individual recovering may have been slim to none, depending on how um, depending on how um, their immune system was functioning. Now, most American doctors, including Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was the uh, chief surgeon of the Continental Army, he was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He's an interesting character, nonetheless, but Dr. Benjamin Rush did firmly believe that breathing clean air and drinking good water were the primary solutions to avoiding all illnesses. Well, I think that's a good good, um, fundamental guess, but let me ask you this, folks. You can breathe all the good, clean air you want. You could drink good water but does it automatically guarantee that you could be exempt from illnesses perhaps not something we should keep in mind and it will be discussed here uh um, not long uh before uh this session is over is that does the word accessibility come to mind you know when we think of accessibilitys in today's time it can mean just about anything you know accessibilitys like a television Accessibility like a stereo, the type of car you drive. Uh, accessibility, I mean, the accessibilities could go on and on. But in the 18th century and in 19th century times, accessibilities, not everyone had access to the same kind of accessibilities like many of us could have access to today. I should also point out, too, that Dr. Dr. Benjamin Rush, um, yes, he did sign the Declaration of Independence. What I find interesting about Benjamin Rush is that he was often referred to as the signer who loved to gossip. That's um, the title he was given from uh, the book Signing Their Lives Away, The Fame and Misfortune of the Men Who Signed the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Rush uh, was one of those men who um, liked to talk about other people. But sometimes talking too much about other people would uh, catch up with him. In other words, you know, none of our forefathers were perfect, but many of them were often guilty of doing something that even many of us can be guilty of doing um, every so often in today's time, saying everything that's on our mind. On the other hand, though, Dr. Benjamin Rush not to get ahead of the game, but if there is one thing that does come to my mind when I think of Benjamin Rush, he will be credited for um, helping Thomas Jefferson and John Adams renew their friendship. When Jefferson becomes president in 1801, he and John Adams have a falling out. After all, Adams was a Federalist, Jefferson was an Anti-Federalist to what we call a Demo- Democratic Republican or Jeffersonian Republican. But their political ideologies, um, when when, um, Adams was president and when Jefferson became president, when transition of power left with Adams and was turned over to Jefferson, their political ideologies um, really um, separated them. So it wasn't until 1813, or just before 1813, um, or rather um, before Benjamin Rush passes away, that he... um, he was inspired by a dream he had, where he would be responsible for reuniting two men who had differences that um, that drove them away for a period of time, only to be reconnected. Well, Doctor Benjamin Rush is the man whom for whom we have to thank for renewing Thomas Jefferson and John Adams's friendship. So, um, back to our what we're discussing. Where does cholera usually exist? It usually exists in contaminated waters, most notably in poor settings where unsanitary conditions are rampant. And this includes people drinking from water pumps or from rivers and creeks. So in other words, based off of what I just described, drinking water from a river or a creek or from a water pump That water hasn't been filtered. It's unfiltered. So, for all we know, we're not really sure where that water is coming from, where that water has um, been, what that water itself could be exposed to. In other words, what kind of bacteria has that water been exposed to? There's a lot of unknowns right there. And some of you, or not some of you, many of you all might find this disturbing, but I, I was a little shocked, too, when I first um, read about it in the book, in this book. But there were many people in America, those who were of high class status, as well as in European society. They each believed that diseases killed the poor, that, that diseases alone were more likely to kill the poor versus the rich due to various socioeconomic reasons. In other words, those who were rich often believed that the destitute and the poor were unwilling to help themselves. They chose to remain poor because that's all they knew. Whereas those who were rich had better connections, and because they had better connections, they could do more not only to provide for themselves, but they could do more to uh, to ensure that their uh, physical well-being um was high priority but also um by staying in uh good health they knew that they had a better chance of um a longer uh quality of life all of that is true but we must keep in mind that there was discrimination un- unfortunate discrimination amongst rich and poor over um diseases and i should point out too that um, History has shown that there have been incidents where um groups of um people were uh truly convinced that another segment of society was responsible for contributing to a disease. Um a good example that comes to my mind was during the is during the medieval era uh when the bubonic plague struck western Europe which would ultimately kill a quarter of uh Europe's population meaning 25% There were a handful of Europeans who had already not been infected by the plague, but they became so skeptical and so fearful that they truly did believe that the Jewish people were responsible for bringing the plague. And so what did those people do? They went out and slaughtered Jewish people of Jewish faith. Now, that doesn't make it right, but... History has shown that there have been plenty of um, people or factions of people who have uh, taken upon themselves to get rid of other groups of people whom they are convinced were responsible for bringing about um, infectious diseases. So remember, folks, you know, when, when we get infected with a disease or a virus, don't always assume that there are others out there who who will automatically sympathize with you or who will automatically assume that well just because John Smith or Sally Jones got the virus or the disease will be there for them no i i hate to say this there are those i mean we're seeing it even in today's time with this global pandem- pandemic where there are uh people who either choose not to wear face masks or they choose to take their anger out on the medical profession, who had nothing to do with this. But there again, folks, people do things that are unbecoming, even in the midst of medical crises. Now, I should point to you all this, that cholera's existence goes can be traced as far back as ancient Greek civilization. It was first mentioned by a fellow named Hippocrates, who who first wrote about the disease. So, I'm sure many of you all are thinking to yourselves, "Why do doctors McClurg, McCall, and Fauci, who are so high profiled, who are so well respected by everyone, why would these three men firmly believe that the With household being?" comprised of George With, Michael Brown, and Lydia Broadnecks were in fact victims of cholera. Well, here's another irony to cholera. At various times, history has shown that the disease itself was known to infect those who ate fruits and vegetables, which had been washed with unsanitary water, or the the vegetables and fruits were either under or overriped. So there you have it, folks. If if you do wash food that with unsanitary water, there could be potential for something bad to go awry. Now on May 24th, the night before Mr. With was poisoned, With himself did consume a bowl of strawberries where someone saw before the consumption took place, but someone saw a whitish hue, meaning a color, to the strawberries, the doctors believed that the strawberries were rotten and had developed a white mold which could have given Mr. With cholera, as well as Lydia Broadnax and Michael Brown, being, the two of them becoming ill from the same source. Well, I, I can admit now here at this exact moment that maybe the doctors could be onto to something. I think it's also fair to say that maybe the doctors don't want to believe that a family member would go so low as to wanting to poison another relative, but most notably someone like George With. I think that's what we all would like to believe. But even facing reality is not always an easy thing for any of us, regardless of the circumstances. But in this case, it's going to be a very difficult reality for the doctors to want to admit. I should point out here that cholera symptoms don't strike instantly, but the symptoms will evolve over a 24-hour period after After the uh, infection itself, after the initial infection um, kicks in, now the poison that George Wythe, Lydia Broadnax, and Michael Brown all endured was arsenic poisoning. Arsenic poisoning had more effects that would become instantaneous, meaning that it was just right on the spot. They didn't, in other words, these, the poison they endured happened within minutes after consuming the coffee. So, we therefore now we can obviously distinguish, we can obviously determine the difference between what's more lethal. Arsenic poisoning versus cholera. That's not to say, folks, that cholera is lethal. But what we're going to eventually find out is that not everyone, not everyone who is diagnosed with cholera is going to have the same symptoms. In other words, there could be five out of six people diagnosed with cholera, but then there is one who could um, have symptoms that are cholera-like, but they may not get fully diagnosed with it and still survive, whereas the other five do. So, this could also be a good example right here of um, immunity. In other words, not everyone, you know, has the same kind of immunity in their bodies. Some people have better immune systems than others. And see, here's another thing right now where the medical profession has not really grasped just yet. So, uh, true or false, did George With consume water from his private backyard well? Yes. Or should I say true? Okay, why is this important, folks? If George With consumes water from his private backyard well, this means that the water he used to wash, it, it means that the water he used, not only for giving himself a bath with, but, the, but this water would also be used for, um, for food preparation, to making coffee. This water came directly from the backyard well. It, this basically means, folks, that it was never contaminated. Given with status, he lived in a well-to-do neighborhood, far away from the city's overpopulated areas where cholera was far more rampant. So think about it, folks. The more congested an area that you live in, if you live in an overpopulated part of Richmond or anywhere else during this time frame, you could be more likely to... um, get exposed to cholera, but the further you're away from overpopulated areas, the less likely you could be exposed to, um, deadly diseases. Well, think about this folks, Thomas Jefferson living in Monticello. Um, you know, he was, um, far away from, you know, Richmond, of course, you know, Monticello being in Charlottesville. He, um, yes, he had neighbors, but, but there weren't homes, uh, stacked up, um, near Monticello. In other words, he didn't live in a suburb like we know today, but he lived uh, far enough or far away from where um, he did not um, get exposed to those who would have come in contact with others that had, say, smallpox or yellow fever. So, um, it turns out, too, that George Wythe himself bought food, or let alone bought food items from top-of-the-line stores. In other words, he went to he would have gone to markets where he knew the owners, and he knew the direct source from where the food itself was coming, or let alone just the items. In other words, he had what you call a good, reputable relationship with, um, with what you call um, vendors. You know, those who were going to be selling uh, their goods to uh, customers like Mr. With. And Lydia Broadnax has been his personal servant for over 20 years. She has overseen all the food preparations. And to make matters even more unique, Mr. With is more of a vegetarian. He seldomly eats meat. It also turns out that Thomas Jefferson, his uh, student from William and Mary days, In the later years of his life, Thomas Jefferson would become more of a vegetarian. He often said that meat itself should only be used for sparing purposes, more for a delicacy, rather I should say a flavoring. After all, I should point out too that Thomas Jefferson grew 20 different kinds of peas at Monticello. Matter of fact, his favorite soup was split pea soup. So if that tells you anything right there about him being a vegetarian uh, that would definitely give all of you uh, or any of you rather who have not been to monticello before and i strongly recommend that you all go a good indication of what his garden would have been like and how they've recreated it uh, today at mulberry row so re- let's remember folks again did george with consume water from his private backyard well yes and what does that mean? It means that the water used to wash his food, as well as making coffee, came directly from the backyard well, which means it was it never was contaminated. But here's another uh, bonus: Did everyone have access to a well, or let alone a private well? No. If you had a private well, you were well to well off, and by having a private well, you didn't have to worry about about all the what ifs those who lived in overpopulated areas i guess they didn't know any better but we should also keep in mind that even in the 19th century most people if they're smart enough are not drinking straight water because most people should have enough common sense to know that water is not a safe thing to drink unless unless you are wealthy enough and you have a well then that's a a very um Rare exception. What are most people drinking instead of water? Alcohol, cider, brandy, um, a tonic and gin, or gin and tonic, uh, rum. Uh, they're they're drinking beer. And if you're well to do and you can afford it, you could have a nice glass of wine, or what well, we might still consider at the time, uh, Madeira, port wine. So we're moving on here. Our next question is the following. What did the doctors fail to understand about cholera? There had never been a single case of the disease itself in the U.S. documented. The disease was confined to India, Asian, and African nations. So, you know, here they are talking about cholera and how convinced they are and while yes they their theory behind the fruit had what you call a half truth um, plausibility and that is a half half truth probability rather it was not a 100% uh, conclusive answer and of course George with, vehemently objects to the doctor's medical diagnosis, being cholera. He was very certain his grandnephew had poisoned him, and went as far as asking those around him, being the doctors, to attorney Edmund Randolph and Mayor William Duval to search the grandnephew's room for ev- evidence of arsenic powder. At first, none of these men were were willing to do just that. But a few days after, the doctor's did go into Sweeney's room and found the following. A glass vial containing a mixture of arsenic and sulfur, as well as a bowl with strawberries containing a whitish hue color. So what do you know, folks? It's very, very possible that George Wythe's grandnephew, George With Sweeney, had tried more than one way to poison his great great uncle, he started out with the strawberries, okay? The strawberries didn't get him. He had to go with something else, and that was the arsenic. Because he knew that the arsenic would have been probably more lethal, but that's not to say that he could have... Well, if he had placed some arsenic in the strawberries, I think it's fair to say that... um, that, that something would have happened to mr with the night before who knows but we obviously know that it, it's fair to say that uh, sweeney could have uh, tampered with george with's uh, fruit and what do you know finding the uh, glass vial containing a mixture of arsenic and sulfur as well as a bowl with strawberries that contained that whitish hue color that was enough for Mayor William Duval to know right away uh, what truly did cause Mr. Withth's death. Now this makes uh, George With Sweeney the primary suspect, and rightfully so. Now at the time of Wyth's death, Richmond has truly become a very unstable city. It is a city that has been taken over by racetracks, gamblers, prostitutes, con men, embezzlers, horse thieves to counterfeiters. You know, Richmond is also a bustling port city, but it's really a um what I call a renegade outlaw city. It might as well be the Wild West. And and we will discuss more about Richmond in a few um, later podcast sessions uh, down the road. But to end this um, particular session, or this session rather, while yes, we have discussed um, some um, sad um, sequence of events, knowing that George Wythe has been poisoned, only to hear him say that he has been murdered, only to be confronted by doctors who want to believe the opposite, while yes, their beliefs might be good-hearted, good-nature-hearted, but they aren't getting to the real root of the cause. But this isn't going away. But when I'm back on the air again with you all next, we are going to talk about some, um. what do you call it, um? Yes, we're going to talk about information that's relevant, but we're going to go uh, backwards to um, the time when Mr. With was in Williamsburg. Not just in Williamsburg, but when Williamsburg was the capital of Virginia. So to end this uh, session, let's keep in mind the following. Yes, George With died on June 8th of 1806, two weeks after initially um, being poisoned. He would go on to be buried in Richmond at Saint John's Episcopal Church. He would be buried, not just in Richmond. I mean, he would be re- he would go on to be remembered as one of the most respected judges. But it was in Williamsburg where his true rise to fame began, and that fame itself started by meeting a tall, red-haired man, whom would team up with Mister. With in altering the course of Virginia and Colonial America. Well, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, folks, but we still have a lot more to discuss in part one. But I look forward to sharing, sharing it with you all. Take care and continue to stay safe.